The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter. And John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the gospel of the Lord. If you're going to praise somebody, if you're doing it right, you're not just flattering them. You're not just saying, oh, you're just so wonderful and covering it with all sorts of sugary words so the person just hears like nothing but kind of obvious disingenuous praise. Well, I see as we equate the two, even I equated it there, but nice words. But no, real praise isn't just flattering somebody. And a lot of people think that's what it is, but it's not, especially not with God. We don't praise God by coming to church and just saying, God, you're just so strong, big and wonderful, and you can do all things. Yes, he can. Yes, that's true. But true praise of God goes far beyond that. It goes beyond just saying, like, really complimentary things about him. Right praise, orthodox praise, true praise does this on top of that. It proclaims the truth. It says about someone something that is true. Think about it this way. Just a quick example for you. So if you see somebody play a sports game, right, basketball or whatever, and you want to praise them, you don't just say to them, you're the best basketball player in the world. Okay, if it's junior high or high school, they know that's not true. Okay, so they're going to see right through that compliment, that flattery, as it were. You maybe say this in your right praise. You hit some really good points out there. And you just describe what happened in the game, right? True for people, true for God. Good praise says what is actually true, what that person has actually done. The words spoken by God in the Bible, I will, followed by some sort of future declaration of what he's going to do, are great words. Those are wonderful words. Because the people that heard them can always test them. They can hear those words of the promise, I will, and then they can look to the future, and if they're living in that future, see if he actually makes good on it, if he actually does it. Watch to see if they are fulfilled. God makes a lot of I will statements in the Bible and to a lot of people. There are little I will statements in particular settings to individual people about something he's going to do in their life in particular. And of course, there are the big I will statements that he makes that kind of encompasses all humanity. The obvious one is in Eden, his promising to undo the work of sin and death. You have the I will statements promised to Abraham, things that he was going to do for him and his descendants, and indeed the whole world that Abraham would not live to see, but his descendants would. 
The I will promise, of course, to David to set up one of his sons on his throne forever and the like. Yes, indeed, with God as with people, when someone makes a promise about the future, I will, all that you can do is watch and wait to see if he actually does it. I want you to fast forward now in your minds to Zechariah, the priest that we heard about in the gospel lesson this morning. As a priest in Jerusalem, obviously one of the good ones compared to the ones that seem to be running rampant 30 years later, who are part of the plot to kill Jesus, Zechariah knew the word very well. He knew, as it were, the I will statements of God to Old Testament Israel and Judah. And, of course, in spite of his initial incredulity that his elderly wife Elizabeth would have a child, for which he was lightly punished with nine months and a week of silence, in spite of that, Zechariah believed. He believed God's I will promise to him about what this son would, that the son would come and what he would do. And that is evidenced by the first words out of his mouth that I read this morning in what we call the Benedictus. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. When he's finally able to sleep, speak after those nine months of silence in which he's punished for not believing the Lord's word, he doesn't open his mouth and complain. I've been trying to say this for months and now I can say it. No, he praises God. First words out of his mouth, blessed be the Lord. Bless and praise are the same thing, just so you know. And what does he do? He doesn't just give flattery, like kind of like trying to buy God off with nice compliments so he never does anything like those nine months of silence to him ever again. No, but Zechariah's song of praise is restating what the Lord has done, his mighty works. He gives right praise. He draws attention to the promise that God had made to his people about a Messiah and draws attention to God fulfilling that promise, keeping that promise. He stated that once again, the God of Israel was delivering, redeeming his people as he had time and again in the Old Testament with its physical enemies, the nations around them. Now he was doing it in this time of the new. Zechariah's son would be privileged to be the one who would prepare the way for the Lord's Christ. What an honor it was. And that Christ, Zechariah states in no uncertain terms, would deliver Israel. But he would deliver Israel not from the physical enemies, not the Hittites, not the Babylonians, the Assyrians, not even the Romans, but he would deliver Israel from its true enemy, its greatest enemy, sin, death, and the devil. Abraham indeed was promised to be a blessing, as Zechariah recalls in his song, but not a blessing and a blessing to the world by being some sort of special ethno-state in a time and a place, but Abraham would be a blessing and indeed has been a blessing to the world through his promised seed, Jesus Christ, who came to be the world's savior. David's throne would be forever, yes, but a kingdom that is not a worldly power, but a kingdom of God's power in his grace and peace to sinners. Zechariah gets a heavenly messenger who says to him, that day has come, the angel who told him, and John, John would be the herald of that day. And so with all of this, it's right for Zechariah, knowing what he knows about the Bible, God's promises, knowing from this angel and believing him about these promises being fulfilled, it's right that he praises God. 
in no uncertain terms, restating, recalling to mind to the family gathered there at John's naming and to those of us who are privileged to hear his words these centuries later, he was recalling God's fidelity. God was fulfilling his word. The light of Christ would cast away the shadow of death. Peace. Peace on earth would reign for all who believe in him would have peace with God. Whatever doubt that Zechariah had initially had about his wife Elizabeth's age had long since vanished, and any private questions or concerns that he had in his heart that he certainly had enough quiet time for nine months to think about, those were gone. Like the centurion later during Jesus' ministry, whose faith was so strong in the Lord's power that he himself did not need to see Jesus come into his house to heal his servant, Zechariah believes, and he proclaims the Lord's work. He hasn't seen the fulfillment of what John and Jesus would do, but he's speaking of it in the Benedictus as if he actually was seeing it in real time. He has a strong faith. It's his right praise of God, Zechariah says, and with God's help, it's our praise too. We know God doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. To know those promises and to speak aloud those promises, that is for us to praise God. When we come to church during Advent and Christmas, or any other time for that matter, that's what, in part at least, we are doing. We're receiving the forgiveness of sins won for us by the one John came and prepared the way for, and we are responding in our words with appropriate praise of the God who is so gracious to give us these things. As soon as we ask for the Lord's pardon, we receive it. And as soon as we receive it, I hope, we thank and praise him for it. God forgive me, a, a poor miserable sinner, and he does praise God. The Christ has come into the world to redeem his Israel, the church, the sunrise has visited us from on high. And so this Advent and always, glory to him. Glory to him now and forever. God has redeemed us. He has saved us. That is praise. Let us praise him. Amen.